welcome to This Week Explained, the independent podcast that tackles the world's biggest geopolitical events. We're glad that you're here with us as we bring you all the insights and analysis on what's happening around the world. As always, I'm Tiana, here with my co-host, Kervin. Together, we'll help you understand the complexities of our dynamic, ever-changing world. But before we do that, let's get started with what's on the agenda this week, Kervin. Do you want to tell everybody that we've been working on some things recently? Nope. Oh. Let's just say that we have a huge announcement coming up in a couple weeks. So stay tuned to the podcast for that update and hit us with what is on your radar this week, sir. Okay, well, do Russia, Ukraine, and then uh, we're going to get to some more Russia stuff because Russia came out and said that they will not do an international investigation to Prigozhin's quote unquote plane crash. Of course they won't because they'll confirm what everyone already knows. Yeah, exactly. Um, then we're going to get into, uh, we've talked about this a lot before, but now with the coup that's going on in Niger, we, I want to talk about Russia's influence in Niger post-Pergochin uh, with, the, with the Wagner Group. Then we're going to get into the latest coup that's going on in Africa. I believe this is now the seventh coup in three years for the continent wow. of Africa. So it's it's getting really, really crazy out there. Uh, once we're done with that, we'll talk about how ISIS is building up in Mali. So that's the Islamic State. And then we'll head to the Indo-Pacific to talk North Korea. North Korea is, if you believe what Kim Jong-un is saying, they are preparing for war with the United States. And nice. we'll end this podcast because we haven't talked about China. So we're going to end it talking about China. They had a great, oh, not a great, sorry. They had an interesting uh, addition to one of their government websites and it's a map that created what some countries consider new borders for china for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click granger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, well, let's get started. What is the latest in Ukraine? Uh, not much to talk about as far as like ground operations are concerned. There, is, there are some drone strikes going on um, uh, for Ukraine. They've hit Crimea a couple of times with drones and Russia keeps attacking uh, Ukraine. But I want to get into some discussion that Russia's presidential administration held a meeting this week to approve specific narratives that Russian media should and will have to promote within the information space. Oh, this should be interesting. Do you know what narratives were discussed during this meeting? Well, I mean, you know I do. What? <laughs> uh, among, so among those narratives are, uh, one is claims that Ukraine is mobilizing people despite their age, gender, and health. So... That's all... like Russia, though. Yeah. So that's going to be a common theme in these narratives. It's going to be what's actually going on in Russia. Right. What pointed projecting. at. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, projecting. Uh, another one is that Western partners are disappointed with the chances of Ukraine winning. People oh, prob right. Probably flip that one as well as, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Russian-supported countries are kind of 
disappointed in what's going on there. You know, yeah, you know, China was distancing themselves yep. from Russia. They're like, oh, maybe, maybe we should just take a step back. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I just saw that Putin is going to head to China for his first, uh, his first foreign tour since the invasion. So he's going to try to get some more money and weapons, I'm assuming. Yeah. That's just an assumption. I still have just to, to look into it. Yeah. Uh, another narrative is that the Ukrainian counteroffensive is failing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard that yeah. one. Yep. And that is, you know, that's that's out there, but that is actually happening in some parts. The counteroffensive is not going the way it's it was intended to go. Right. Uh, another narrative is that the Ukrainian government is corrupt and that they don't fight corruption. No. Oh Once again, gosh, projecting. Hilarious. <laughs> okay. Uh, and finally, there there's a narrative that Russian authorities are providing good living conditions in those occupied areas of Ukraine. And I guess the big question is: Have you seen this on social media and with in other social media sites or other media sites? Well, on social media, definitely um, okay. not to. Not to feed into an already established narrative about Twitter or X or whatever, but um, there is a lot of Russian propaganda going on um, within the X or Twitter social media. Uh-huh. So, so that's happening. Russia's done an impressive job of, of information operations, especially in social media. Um, I would say, interestingly, the U.S. actually declassified some intelligence recently that stated there's a complex web of Russian influence designed to spread a pro-Kremlin propaganda, and they want to spread that through unsuspecting Westerners, Western journalists, Western social media accounts. Uh, Russia is, so this U.S. intelligence, uh, the U.S. intelligence community said that Russia is using personal relationships and trust within these covert campaigns. Uh, That way the narratives are effectively injected into Western media while presenting this facade of like a genuine discourse. What that means, Russia is building these relationships with unwitting uh, Western sources. And they're saying, hey, you know, we're good friends. All, All this is, we're all copacetic. And that way that person puts it into Western media and it looks genuine when it's actually not. This is happening all across social media. Okay, but what about traditional media? Are you seeing this being used effectively in Western news sources? That depends on what you mean. So are we talking like the heavy hitters like BBC, uh, New York Times, the Washington Post, those kind of things? Are you just talking about like the newer media sites that are popping up? I mean, I mean, both, really. I mean, I would think if the New York Times is releasing articles that align with Russian narratives, everyone would have heard about it. But maybe some did slip through the cracks. I mean, let's just start there. Are you seeing these Russian narratives being pushed out by what some would call the legacy media? No, not at this time. Um, And you're absolutely right. If those media members were releasing articles with the pro-Russian narratives, that's going to be huge news. Right, right. We'd all hear about it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it, so... Um, we all kind of know that those media institutions have completely sided with Ukraine once Russia invaded. No one made any, no doubt about that. None of the media sites were trying to no hide pro that. Kremlin. Yeah, not not as far as the heavy, like you said, the like the heavy hitters. Yeah. Um, but 
what I want to say was they have every right to do that, to, to choose the side, you know, the one who's being aggressed um, and then try to counter what would be the pro-Russian narratives. I also think that journalists shouldn't choose sides and just report on the facts. You know, that's what, right. what we're trying to do. So, you know, let's say that Ukraine is mobilizing people despite age, gender and health that should be reported on. You know, don't right. try to cover it up. But there's research that goes into that. You got to do the research. You got to get out there, see if it's actually happening. And then if you see it shouldn't be hidden just because it goes against an already established belief system of that journalist. Um, and are you of the opinion that some of those legacy media sites wouldn't want to report on that? Uh, yeah, I do think it's been well established that if you if you say something negative about Ukraine right now, uh, that makes you a puppet of the Putin regime. Uh, and that's just yeah, not that's true. What the implication That's what the implication is. Yeah, uh, we yeah. we do. We try to report facts on both sides of this conflict. And I'm sure that we have listeners at one time or another who would think that we're Putin's puppets because we've said well, some things about uh, Russia. But if you listen to the first few episodes while the invasion got started, you get pretty spicy. Yeah. And you're definitely firmly in Ukraine's corner in those episodes. So Yeah. And and at that point the, the listeners listening to those episodes probably would say, Oh, well, Kervin's just part of the deep state. This is a deep state podcast <laughs> wanting, you know, to spend money in Ukraine. And that's right. not true either. Nope, we're just two regular people discussing geopolitics out in the ether. Yeah, <laughs> definitely out in the ether. Something. Definitely out in the ether, just floating out by by ourselves, just putting these little episodes out there, hoping someone gives it a listen. <laughs> but for now, let's move to an update on what happened with Brigoshin. Did they really come out and say they will not investigate the crash? Well, I mean, obviously they did say they weren't going to investigate the crash. We've already established why, at least we think why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what we think, what our opinion is about why they don't won't allow it. Um, are they required to investigate and release their findings? What is going on there? Yeah, so they said they won't allow an international investigation to the crash right now. So outsiders. Yeah, they right. got to cover up right now. They got to hide. Yeah. Uh, all the... Now, the reason it was asked was because the, the plane was a Brazilian-made Embraer. Uh, so Brazil's Center for Research and Prevention of Aeronautical Accidents said if it were invited and the investigation was conducted under international rules, they'd join a Russian-led investigation. Those are two BRICS countries. They should be able to work together. Right. Russia's aviation authority did not have to say yes to that, you know, to the Center for Research. I, you know, obviously former investigators said that they really should do that. Mm -hmm. and we should know what happened if it was a crash so we can yeah. help not have that happen again. But we yeah. kind of know what happened. So they like if there wasn't like a faulty part on the plane, Brazil would be able to correct it. But right. right now, we don't get to find out what happened. Right. And, and you know, you asked, are they required to, to release the findings? Um, yeah. Well, the International Civil Aviation Organization in Montreal said the flight from, so since it was from Moscow to St. Petersburg, it was a domestic flight. So it's not subject right. to the international rules, which they call Annex 13 in the industry. Oh, well, that's convenient. Right? Very convenient. 
Yeah, I mean, now they can. Now they don't have to follow the international rules because it was a domestic flight. So that right. has and to mean Putin was involved, right? I mean, I know it's not good to assume, but you can make logical conclusions <laughs> from Russia's actions, right? Yeah. Because if I mean, they really wanted to find out what was going on, they would allow this investigation. But they already know, so they don't need an investigation. Yeah, and what's what's really interesting is going back to that talk of the domestic versus international flight. You know, Prigozhin was on a flight from Africa to Moscow a few days before that. On the same plane? Uh, it would have been the same plane. It was his personal plane. Okay. And then he went to from Moscow to St. Petersburg, and that's when it was shot down. Uh, not shot down. Sorry. <laughs> when it oh, crashed. Oh, my When it quote-unquote crashed. Did, dude, watch your words. No, I know. Watch. But it's a Brazilian aircraft, so... Like, it wasn't a Russian-made aircraft. It was a Brazilian aircraft. So that's right. one thing that kind of makes my antenna stick up and be like, why aren't they allowed to investigate? Because they need to fix it. Because if there is a faulty part, hello. Right. You you need to go across the board, just like when a car has a problem, right? Right. It's, it's off from the factory. There's an issue with it. They put out alerts, and, and you need to go get that fixed. But, yeah, the recalls. Right, recalls. And you know, you know what my opinion is on all of this, right? You, we you, you would just heard it. it. Yeah, slip of the tongue. Oh my there. gosh, what is that called? Whenever you say what you actually feel, well, and you don't. Oh, you, you saw that isn't it a Freudian slip yes. or like a yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's what happened so that, so a that. few minutes ago. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that's because yeah, I've been reading a lot on this and, and going on all sides of it. And through my own research and analysis, it is pretty obvious to me that the Kremlin was involved in an assassination of Prigozhin. Typically, Russia's going to point the finger at other countries when an attack like this happens, or they're going to mm-hmm. you know try to exploit the attack to do like a follow-on campaign. So you would probably think, oh, let's blame Ukraine. Well, right. they didn't do that yet. But today they just released some reporting uh, this is out of Moscow from the Kremlin, that they are still considering that the plane was attacked, just not by them. Right. So this is this is like right. to me, this is like a formulation of what can we say yeah, whenever planning steps to get to the inevitable conclusion that Ukraine did it. We didn't do it. Right. Um that as Ukraine would know that he's on that flight or not, mm-hmm. they wouldn't. Yeah. Um but the investigation is going to going to remain internal, and we, you know, we will know more once Russia begins to release those findings. It's not going to be truth, but you can mm-hmm. kind of piece together what actually happened once they start releasing a few things. Yeah. That's going to help analysts assess what actually happened. Uh, but you know, I'm still saying today, and as we've said multiple times since the event happened, we're probably never going to know what really happened to that plane. Well, on another note, has there been any talk on a new leader for the Wagner Group? No, I'm not seeing actually I'm not seeing any public statements to this regard. Uh, a former Wagner fighter told some people in the media that the mercenary force had a contingency plan to delegate authority in the event of the death of their leader, who's mm-hmm. Prigozhin. The problem is that the second tier of command has gone silent. Mm-hmm. So... They're not saying anything, and it okay. it appears 
those guys are uh, reevaluating their allegiances since the death of Pregochin and the founder of uh, of the Wagner Group. Okay, then. Well, once that new leadership is established, I know we will see a full analysis across all of our sites. Since we are still talking about Russia, let's get an update on the coup in Niger and what Russia has been doing to possibly support the junta. A number of Russian state-linked social media channels have launched campaigns to exploit last month's military coup in Niger. They're hoping to boost Moscow's influence and possibly open doors for their own intervention in the country. Uh, there, There was a group that did an analysis of those Russian social media channels and they said that the Russian telegram channels actually posted 6,645% more information about Niger after the coup. So that's a good suggestion that that Moscow wants to capitalize on this coup in Niger. All right. The amount of content uh, peddling like anti-French narratives on these accounts increased significantly. Now, mm-hmm. we we've talked about it before the coup um, not Niger's a, a former French colony. They already had a lot of negative sentiments towards Paris in the West because of that colonization. Right. So what kind of content is being posted on those pro-Russian channels? I mean, the, the narrative is pretty much the same Russian narrative that it's always been. So one, one post from a Russian, quote, fact-checking telegram channel. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how much fact checking they actually do as much as narrative pushing but they said that western powers were provoking the instability in niger and other nations because those countries niger and the other countries that are there they want to join BRICS, so the west doesn't want that to happen that's one narrative another one is that um another outlet on telegram not a fact checking one just one that is putting out russian narratives they have amplified these claims that uh, two countries from what's called the ECOWAS, which is the regional bloc of Western African nations, were close to military intervention because they want to restore Niger's president back to power. Moving on from Niger, let's discuss another African nation. This time, the country of Gabon, which is dealing with its own coup. Because poor Africa can't get a dang break. Can you right. tell me what's happening there? Yeah, certainly. Uh, Gabon had just released the results of their presidential election. Right. So right after the results were released, military officers seized power and uh, they put the president, Ale Bongo, under house arrest. Now, an initial results had shown that Ale Bongo had won his third term as president of the country. Once again, I would hate to assume something, but it appears it appears evident that the military officers were not pleased with the results of the election. Yeah, they they were not, and the officers declared the election results were canceled. We're canceling yeah. election results. We're just going to cancel everything. I hate days. cancel culture. <laughs> right, I hate cancel culture. Uh, so yeah, they the elections. Now. They canceled the election. Um, they closed the borders, and then they dissolved all state institutions. What is your analysis of the situation on the continent of Africa now that it deals with yet another coup? Well, since 2020, there have been a lot of military takeovers in in West and Central Africa. Like I said, I think it was nine over the last three years. I 
think you said seven. Seven? The beginning. Yeah, I think you said seven at the beginning. It is between seven and nine. Seven I'd have to go nine. back and, and look at it. Okay. Uh, but we've got, we could go through them. We've got Najir last month, uh, Molly, Ganey, Burkina Faso, Chad, now uh, now Gabon. I'm missing one. It's got to be seven. There's There's one more that I'm missing. Right. But it just shows how disillusioned people are with their respective democracies. We relate, Africa. Right. Look at our own. Yeah. Um, I can't say there's some common legitimate concerns from the people of these countries. Right. Economic grievances. Yeah. Electoral irregularities. That is happening all across the continent. And it's happening, it seems, every country in right. around the world. We're, we're seeing this. And there's just an overall frustration with leadership. Yeah. All this is, even though, you know, each situation is obviously different. They're the the takeover happens for different reasons or it's done in a different way. Right. But my analysis of the situation is that there is some concern that this pattern of uprisings will ripple out to other neighboring countries. And maybe that's what happened when it started in Mali and then started rippling out to the others um which i believe you said that i think you said that it could lead to instability in neighboring countries definitely with especially with russia you know forcing themselves meddling meddling in, into it yeah. um but the, all that's going to do is cause political and security instability across a continent that does not need that all right well, I'm glad that you brought up the security instability across the continent because I'd like to discuss how the Islamic State is once again growing across Africa and the Middle East. Specifically, what can you tell us about the operations in Mali? Yeah, it was uh, it was what a president, former President Obama, famously yeah. called the JV team of terrorist organizations, and we found out very quickly they are not the JV. He thought he was um, being clever. He thought, but uh, yeah, no, they're they're back. They're and powerful. A, yeah, very powerful. They're they're very cruel, and um, and they when they take over places, they completely destroy it. And mm -hmm. it's a great question about the security situation in Mali. It's reached a very critical point, and the Islamic State has taken advantage of everything we just talked about. So we talked about how the coup has happened. So the internal divisions, political stalemates, and they've created what's called a security vacuum within the country. What is a security vacuum? So it keeps everything within the borders of the country. And okay. so the Islamic State can now do as they please okay. within that country because there's really no security going after them. There's okay. no counterterrorism force that's there. Okay. Well, is there anything Mali or the international community can do to push back against these advances by ISIS? There are a few things. They can do uh, improved collaboration and intelligence sharing. That's between those West African countries, so just those countries sharing intelligence. Um, as for the international community, really, they need to, to ramp up their diplomatic efforts and they should focus on reviving a uh, 2015 peace deal that kind of went away. So mm -hmm. th that peace deal was gone. As well, the UN peacekeeping force was left. They left and I think they need to come back and they should be re-engaged to provide much needed me mediation 
uh, some monitoring, but especially investigation services for that country? Well, only time will tell if those recommendations are used and we see an improvement for the people of Mali and the continent of Africa as a whole. Now it's time to talk about the geopolitical wild card that is North Korea. Are they seriously preparing for an armed conflict with the U.S.? Well, it depends on who you listen to and what you believe to be true. Uh, You and I both know, we've talked about it, Kim Jong-un has accused the United States and its allies of creating instability on the Korean Peninsula. And he has said that that could lead to nuclear war. Now, this week, Kim publicly stated that due to, I want to quote him here, there's the quote, due to the reckless confrontational moves of the United States and other hostile forces, the waters of the Korean Peninsula, yeah, South Korea's in that one. So the waters off the Korean Peninsula have been reduced into the world's biggest war hardware concentration spot the most unstable waters with the danger of a nuclear war. End of quote there. That's a quote. That's a quote. It's a very strong statement by Kim Jong-un. What's your take on it? Do we see a conflict on the Korean Peninsula? Yeah, so as our geopolitical wild card, we should make cards. We should make cards. Just a wild card. Um, (laughs) I just put nothing past Kim Jong-un. Right. Uh, I would hope he has some sense to not launch a nuclear weapon. That's That would be devastating, not just for him, but for the people of North Korea. Because if he does that, the U.S., South Korea, and Japan have all said that would be the end of Kim. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have serious repercussions across the country of North Korea. Are you seeing any information that shows that Kim is actually looking to deploy these weapons? Uh, yeah, so according to Kim Jong-un, each military service is about to get new weaponry as their government expands its tactical nuclear arsenal. So it does sound like North Korea is going to deploy this new nuclear capable or its new nuclear capable missiles to its navy that are along the shores there. Well, that will be something to keep an eye on over the next few months. I'd like to stay in the Indo-Pacific and discuss this new map China developed and didn't tell anyone about until they released it on their website. What did they do that got some countries very angry? Yeah, this started when the Ministry of Natural Resources in China released a map of China's borders on its website this week. In that map, you can clearly see two regions in India that have been a constant source of conflict between the two sides in the past. You know, we've kind of discussed that uh, over the last year, how Mm -hmm. India and China, they they have those borders that that are in dispute. Well, those borders became marked within the borders of China on this new map. (laughs) Oh, we can just do that now. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do it. No, I'm not. Well, I'll go out on a limb and say that India is not too pleased with this. No, they are not. And, and this all happens while India is positioning themselves as a major politi- geopolitical player. And they just landed on the moon. They just landed on the moon. If you believe that they did that, there are some people. I mean, if you, you believe in the moon, then yes, they landed on the moon. Okay. Are you? If you're one of those people. Um, but... Huge geopolitical player. Um, They're also trying to stay loyal to the BRICS alliance. 
Well, how does this affect BRICS now that they are accepting new members? Well, you know, the I in BRICS, <laughs> I think, can be quickly changed from India to Iran at any point, right? Right. Well, there's there's no plan to do that at this time to remove India from the organization. There's not even a conversation of that happening right now in, in that regard. But China and India have been at odds for years due to those regions. Um, because it's always been that was so over the last three years, they've kind of been at a stalemate for it. So, so there's no change there, except for the fact that China has now publicly released that map with those disputed borders. So that's it. It's a pretty significant change for India. Right. And it's not just India. Uh, Taiwan, of course, labeled as part of China. You knew that we all knew that, but also yeah. areas claimed by Malaysia. So they're trying to get all kinds of new territory. Well, not new, yep. I guess. Old territory, but... Depending on who old? you ask. Yeah. I, I, I don't know enough about the borders that are being disputed. Yeah, the, the Chinese yeah. empire was, was massive. Right, right. So, lots of... so did Malaysia release an official protest to the map? Yeah, so Malaysia's foreign minister uh, did, in fact, release a statement said uh, they rejected China's unilateral claims and they added that the map is not binding to to the country. It's not binding. Right. It's, it's not official. No one, believes it, no one believes it but China. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, another interesting development is that parts of Russia had also been attributed to China. Wow. Has Russia publicly called China out for doing that? Because their whole goal is to expand, not... <laughs> right. Not um, give up, land. And and I haven't seen any public outcry within uh, official Russian government statements. And honestly, they don't have a leg to stand on. I mean, right? They are currently trying to reimagine official borders in Ukraine. Right. They'd be like, "Don't so, be a hypocrite." <laughs> right? Exactly. Don't be it. Don't be a hypocrite, man. You could do all this other stuff, but don't be a hypocrite. Yeah. It's just we just had another week of geopolitical intrigue from all the the major players russia the thank u.s <laughs> yeah thank you Kervin. is that all for this week that's all that i have unless you had anything you wanted to add i do just want to say that yesterday was our oldest baby's 19th birthday <laughs> and she had a great time yeah we're gonna celebrate more this coming weekend but i cannot believe it we raised a child to the age of 19. It's I guess awesome. technically she's not a child and she hasn't been a child for a couple of years, but she's still my baby, so sorry. Yeah, I went back Anyways. to uh, listen to the insightful inquiries with Andrew Bustamante just to, to see how it was, and mm -hmm. she did the intro to it. <laughs> so oh, it was super cute listening. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that opening for sure because I want to yeah. hear her cute little voice. But anyways... Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you found it both informative and engaging. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakland Analytics. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there. <laughs>